Many of us have thought about what it might be like to be at our own funeral, what people would say, how we would be remembered. I would be ruthlessly policing the photo slideshow, I think. And you could if you opted to have a living funeral, a gathering to celebrate your life and your loves before you die. This option is mostly being taken up by people with terminal illnesses at the moment, but is it something that you've thought about, perhaps as a really powerful ritual towards the end of life? Or does it seem more like a difficult or even unbearable thing to be present for? John Gillius lost his partner, John, eight years ago to cancer. And before he died, they had a civil union ceremony that acted as a living funeral as well. John Gillius, I'm sorry for your loss and thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. John, what made you both decide to hold this event? I think it was a way for me to give back to John and to show him how important he really was and how loved he was. Um, with the cancer journey itself was very isolating for him and a lot of people dropped contact because they didn't want to or maybe they didn't feel like they wanted to intrude or they didn't know how to approach it. Uh, cancer affects everyone differently and so John was it was taking its toll on his mental health I noticed and he was feeling and and like low he was questioning a lot and one of those was you know how how significant was he was he loved did people actually you know, and, and it's horrible to have to think that. And um, so my mission was to, like, make light of it and prove to him that he, you know, was was valuable and loved. And by doing something like a celebration, John was a very social person and he would often, he was a, a function and events caterer, so he was often helping other people celebrate their lives. And then when his was ending, it felt like he nobody wanted to be there for him, which was not true, as we found out after we had our celebration day. And yeah, it um, we just he was always the party person, the social butterfly, if you like. And um, I wanted to have a party for him to to celebrate him. And so, John, it sounds like you were pretty clear about what you hoped for from the event. Mm. On the day, how did it go? What was the feeling in the room? It was. Amazing. There were people that turned up that we didn't even know would come. People travelled a long distance. Um, the room was a room full of love and it wasn't sad. Like, it, you know, death is sad, of course, naturally. But it was about having that chance to heal and it was very cathartic. People were able to have a final word with John, share a final joke, give him a hug, tell him how he impacted their life or changed their life. And it was really healing, I found, even for myself, because I know afterwards John was so happy that, um, you know, I felt like I accomplished what I, I, want, I wanted him to know that love. And um, he's definitely got it on the day. It was a beautiful experience. And John, for yourself, uh, did it differ from the funeral after he died in, in the, the role it had and the meaning it had? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think funerals uh, to, was more of a formality. It was um, a, a way to pay respect um, to him passing. But, you know, it, it's Nike's, they're not there. Um, the, the memory is there. But um, we had the opportunity to have this uh, get together, this party, if you like, um, that celebrated him in the living and he got to feel that he got and it created so many memories and and that would live on after him he'd passed so it was 
it was, yeah, it was a lovely thing to do. I, yeah, I was wondering if it's harder to express the grief that you feel on someone's passing while they're still there. You, you don't want them to, I guess, be burdened by that, whereas the funeral afterwards is the place where you can do that. Is that how it played out for you, John? I think so. Um, I, yeah, it, it was, I just, death is such a, a confronting thing for everybody. And I think, it, it, you know, the funeral is a way to have that final closure, like the closing of the book on that, you know, on that last chapter. But if you've, if you've given the knowledge to know that you're, you have a terminal illness or, or why not celebrate the life that you have left and continue to create memories that live on after you're gone. Mm. So, John, do you have any advice for uh, people who might be considering one? And is it something that you thought of for yourself? Um, definitely. I mean, I think I've always had that thought uh, once in a while in life where you think, I wonder who would come to my funeral. I wonder who would be there. Like, who were my true friends? You know, who were the the people that were there to gain something or who were the people that were there because they just genuinely accepted and loved me unconditionally? Um, so um, my advice would be don't be scared. Like, death is scary. I know it's it, it's it's inevitable. Everybody will die. But you don't. it doesn't have to be... A sad. It doesn't have to be a lonely place. It doesn't. It, it can be celebrated, and you can, you know, knowing that John died a happy man, like he was overjoyed about the love that he felt, and I think that's sort of completing for him too in his journey is to know that he left a mark. He left a legacy. He left, you know, he was adored, and um, and that was a way for him to feel that other than him not being here anymore, you know. Yeah, as you say, it was a wonderful gift to be able to give him. John, thanks so much yeah. for sharing that with us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. John Gillius on Life Matters Today on RN. Evelyn Kalaunen is a celebrant based in the Blue Mountains who's facilitated some life celebrations, including John's. Evelyn, welcome. Oh, th thank you for having me. Pleasure. And Wendy Liu is a specialist grief counsellor. Wendy, great to have you back on the program. Good morning, Hilary. Evelyn, what was uh, John and John's day like for you as a celebrant? Was it substantially different to planning and uh, hosting a traditional funeral? Um, yeah, yeah, it was very different. I, I mean, John wanted to do uh, a bit of a commitment ceremony as well. So we incorporated that, we incorporated his life story, and then we were able to pass the mic around and just share stories and anecdotes. And it was it was very different because uh, John was there. And it was very confronting as well. It was very confronting for people there. But I think I, I knew that it was my responsibility to hold the space and to be sensitive to everybody who was there. So I just made sure not to make light of the situation, but to be sympathetic. Um, and, you know, I smiled and I, I just tried to carry it have a bit of a different sort of vibe. And I know that when the tribute started flowing, when the mic was passed around, there was just so much love and everybody was crying. And it was it was just such a beautiful experience for me uh, because one who's conducted many funerals, everyone says so many things after a person has passed. And I, I always wondered what 
did that person who's in that box right now, did they actually know how they were loved? So uh, when John approached me, and I've sort of been thinking about it as well, about these sort of life celebrations, I thought, no, let's let's do this and, and see how it goes. And it, it was it was confronting, but it was absolutely beautiful. And uh, lots of tears were shed. I do wonder whether it was uh, able to be a more authentic representation of someone's life. We've heard stories on Life Matters over the years of aspects of people's lives being sidelined at the funeral because perhaps uh, other family members who are planning the event don't know or, or or respect those parts of their lives. Is it able to be more authentic if, if the person is involved themselves? Ever? Oh, I, definitely, definitely. I mean, I do, I've done a lot of funerals through the years and, and I know this for a fact. I mean, when I meet with, with you know, sons and daughters, they, they don't know anything about their parents' lives because we don't really look at our parents as normal people. You know, we look at them as uh, as just people who've emerged from when we were born, but we don't know their earlier life. And And I would say at, at 80% of the funerals that I've conducted over the years, uh, people find discover something new about the person who's passed. And, and they even say, oh, gosh, I wish I would have known that you know, he did that or she did that. And we could have talked about that. But uh, yeah, so it's it's uh, it, it's interesting. So I, I do like this idea of the person being there because they can share their stories and, and let us know about things about their lives that we probably don't know. Some lovely texts coming in with stories of people who've had these events. My friend and colleague Elizabeth Caplice hosted her awake while she was still well enough, says one text. It was an incredibly positive and intimate event for a diverse group of her friends. And Sam in Toowoomba says, last year I hosted an 80th birthday celebration for my mother. Family members and friends came from far and wide for the first time in decades to celebrate her life. She's not sick yet, but the years are slipping by and we have distant lives. We did a photo show, spoke about her contributions to our lives, did a quiz game about her and other similar things, says Sam. It was very much like a living funeral, but done while she was alive and kicking. It was great for everyone who attended. Wendy Liu, why do we wish we could be at our own funeral? It seems a very common human (laughs) experience. I think we all like to be seen, you know, in some ways understood and really understood not only by the people that we work with, that we know and we love and that we have in our family and friendship groups, but also represented in the ways that both Evelyn and John have already talked about today, you know, being seen in our fullness of our life. And that includes, you know, this, what we, we, you know, what we all do really well is we celebrate life transitions such as births and graduations and weddings, but we don't get to be there for our own funerals. And in this way, a living funeral for those of those who can tolerate it, for those where it isn't too unbearable, it does represent this opportunity to be seen and to be acknowledged. And I think that's one of the really key reasons why a living funeral or, you know, the last party that others people have called it could be something that is useful for not only those who are dying, which could be all of us, of course, but also those who attend um, these events as well. I mean, for a lot of people in a Western context, it might be a novel idea. Are there other cultures, mm-hmm. Wendy, where these kinds of end-of-life rituals are celebrated while the person's still around? There are. There's a Japanese um, ritual called a senzenzo, um, and it's in Japanese, a funeral while you're still alive. And that idea of an older person, particularly as they become older and this concept that they're now being able to not only register that their death is approaching, but also that they can begin to distribute their wealth, their belongings, and also what's in their will. And so it's not only a 
a sort of a ritual about saying goodbye, but also a ritual of um, almost like disimbursement, sharing what it is that I have accumulated. I think interestingly, there's also in Korea a, a, um, a company that has a, you know, a mass sort of some, a mass ritual, I guess we would call it, where there's a living funeral service. So many people who have now been in excess of 20 odd thousand people who have actually participated in their own living funeral. And this is an engagement with the reality of death, an engagement with what it is to live life, knowing that it is that you'll also die at the very end of that. And so we find different sort of cultural um, ways in which people are beginning to really engage with that finality of life during their death. Some Sorry, during that, the well, other way around. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Some people, Wendy, <laughs> might struggle with the dying person be present, mm. being present, or the dying person themselves might find it overwhelming, I guess, or, or people might feel it's not healthy to bring life and death together in this way. What are your thoughts on that? I think this is one of the reasons why it's so important that this is not considered an imperative. You know, I've been working in this field of death and dying and bereavement for 20 plus years, and it's only been a handful of times that I myself have encountered this with um, my clients, which is to say for many people, this is a radical and confrontational act, the assembling people together as we disassemble our lives. And what that means is for some people, this is too much, either individually within my family or my social context, within my cultural context, this is too confronting. This might be taking away the hope that some people have. But for others, this could be that time when I confront and I acknowledge that this is the end. Um, but I guess one of the really key things is that this shouldn't be the thing that we all have to do. It might be that you are somebody who's okay being the centre of that sort of attention because there's no getting away from the fact that on this occasion it is all about you. But it also might be for some people too exposing to be seen at the very end of their lives, to be physically unwell, maybe even to be mentally not as sort of um, alert as they might have been. And for others, it's like another event planning that I don't want to do. On top of all else, I might have to plan this as well. Whereas, you know, I hear from um, what you said, what John had said about his partner. Together, it was for them an amazing thing to do together, to, to plan something and then to have all of your friends and family come together at that time. So for, I guess, as the sort of final piece, it's really at your choosing and at the time of your choosing a personal and customizable event if you would wish. Yeah, someone's texted in saying, living funeral, peak narcissistic boomer option. <laughs> so sad. So obviously a range of different perspectives Absolutely. about this. We're speaking with Wendy Liu, who's a specialist grief counsellor, and Evelyn Kalaunan, who's a celebrant based in the Blue Mountains, who's facilitated a few of these life celebrations, living funerals, last parties. There's a few different words for them, including John's, who you heard from before, who, who combined it with a civil union with his partner, John. And what is it like to be there for the person who is dying? Mary Ann was a friend of yours, Evelyn, who had a life celebration event before she passed away. Yes. Um, and you were able to speak to her about that experience and record it. We'll play a little bit of, of Mary Ann in her own words. We had a great time, didn't we? What a great celebration. And I did it on purpose because I did feel like this could be the last get together. I invited a lot of people that, that really I felt close to even though they weren't on the inner circle of my friends I just really liked those people and I invited them because I just wanted to celebrate with yep. them and share my love for them you know and we yeah. all had a great time lots of great photos and you know I treasure that night. Evelyn tell us a bit more about that event and did it help Marianne to be able to plan the event as she wanted it? 
Well, um, she was uh, diagnosed with stage four breast cancer in uh, in 2018, and we knew that her 50th was coming up. Um, she by no means wanted to have a living funeral. Uh, we, we've known each other for years, and she kind of knows what I'm about. And she said, no, Evelyn, that is just horrible. I said, but I am having my 50th. Why don't we have a party? And I'm like, yes, okay, I'll facilitate that. I did. We did have the party. It was, it was a dress-up because she was born in 1970, so we had a dress-up 70s style. And at the end of the ceremony, I did a bit of a ceremony where I talked about her life. And and then I, I shared a poem about, you know, that tomorrow's not promised to anyone. And, and it got a bit sad. And then Marianne said, oh, no, no, no. Okay, come on, let's party. Let's turn on the karaoke machine. So she actually, she wanted people there, but she didn't want it to be known as a life celebration, but she wanted a party where she was able to see everybody where, when she was still well enough. But um, the closer it got uh, to her death, because she sadly passed in March of this year, um, she didn't She didn't want that because as the grief counselor w- was just saying, it's too confrontational for people and, and not everybody, it doesn't suit everybody. And I found like she also shared not, I haven't done many of these. I've done a few, I've done quite a few deathbed um, sort of wedding ceremonies. But Marianne, she just wanted a party when she was still feeling well. So um, I think that is the key when it gets too close to death. Um, I must say with John and, and John, when we had the ceremony, I, we had the ceremony and I think he died. It was just two weeks later. So he was really close towards the end of death. And I, I think it was it was very a, a very confrontational ceremony. It was absolutely beautiful, but not many people are willing to to go to that point. I've had I've planned many funerals with people but they're and I'll give them that option. Well, let's have a living funeral. And they're like, "No, no, no, no. I'm I don't I don't want to. I don't want to. I just want you to do this at my funeral, but I don't want to." I you know. So everybody's very different in what they want, and I think it is important that they're still well at, like the um like the grief counselor was just saying earlier, um, it doesn't happen too often. Yes, yeah. Well, and just to finish up with Wendy, can a living funeral offer some closure for the the bereaved, or is that more the role of the regular funeral? Um, I might start by saying I, I think that idea of a closure, you know, of there being closure, is something that doesn't really sort of play out in reality because it's often that we continue to hold the lost. We continue to integrate the loss and the reality of that loss within us, so it doesn't sort of formally end at any stage. But I will say that the, you know, for the few times that I've been um, part of or heard about living funerals, there's something there that not only acts as a model for people who attend that funeral, you know, a way to talk about to be collective in their grief, to be collective in their um, in their thoughts and and feelings about one person, which I think has the after effect of also then having a very collective, a very reinforced sort of social um, aspect to to that grief, that we haven't done it alone whilst they were alive and knowing that they were dying and that we're not doing it alone after they've died. So I think it does offer, you know, a particular um, difference in point in ways that we might have social ties, social etiquette that we have after somebody has died. So a model for grieving that might be more collective than insular and and lonely Mm. i think that's one of the sort of key things around grief is people always talk about the loneliness and some of that is always going to be but there's also maybe a more collective aspect to having had that living funeral 
Yeah, we've got a couple of texts to finish up with. It seems to me there's so much fear of death that the very word death is largely replaced by the euphemistic words pass or passing. And another text, my father decided he'd like to hear good things about himself before he died. We organised an 80th birthday party for him with around 180 people. He's still going strong at 96. So there you go. He's had the good bit and good on him. Uh, Wendy Liu, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, sir. Wendy's a specialist grief counsellor. And Evelyn, Evelyn Kalaunen, thanks for joining us on Life Matters. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Evelyn's a celebrant based in the Blue Mountains. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.